welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, we are uh, filling up our arsenal of uh, episodes for f- future release. I guess that's what we're doing, Aaron. Is that what we're doing? I, I don't know what's happening, but this, this one's going to be a little out of order. So as you listen to future ones and think, what they said something else last week. Well, it's going to be out of order. All right. So, okay. So, so deal with it. These are not necessarily being released sequentially. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, we are, for those who, you see, I don't know. I don't know what episodes they've listened to, Aaron. So I don't know where <laughs> we are in the story. That's, Do people know that you're in California? Uh, are they uh, going to be confused by this? I, uh, are they going to think it's an old episode? That's, that's an interesting question because I, I think I might have been in Tennessee with the last one. <laughs> I think I was actually. So this is the first time I've been in California. So let's, yeah, let's at, pretend I just At some point here. in summer 2020, yeah, okay, Aaron has, has, has relocated. He just he was up. He was just fed up with Tennessee and he decided, <laughs> screw this. Uh, got in his car one night, told Jenny he was going out for milk, and and drove to California. Man, does that make me sound like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's not exactly how it happened. Well, uh, I, you did take a child along, and it was premeditated, and, and Jenny did know you were leaving. And you went for a larger purpose than chasing milk or getting out of the house. Tell us, why are you in California? Oh, man. So this is where I don't know if we're going to repeat this on later episodes, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to, especially my daughter, has a lot of friends here. So she likes to come out for a chunk of time. She also likes to come out for the summer camp that she's gone to her whole life, uh, which, of mm-hmm. course, is canceled. <laughs> but the plane tickets were already purchased. And uh, also, I get to spend time uh, with my parents and I can do all of my work remotely. So my parents get time, Abby gets to be with her friends, and uh, I get to spend some time with uh, the, the my church family here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I'm sure in subsequent episodes recorded earlier, we will find <laughs> out about... <laughs> in subsequent episodes recorded earlier. That's it. We'll find out about uh, reconnecting with vintage and all that kind of stuff. But one thing we have not heard about is uh, a soul architecture intensive. Uh, For those listeners who may not be familiar with soul architecture, briefly uh, describe for us what that is, will you, Aaron? Yeah, soul architecture is is a, a system of coaching that... I and a handful of people have done over the last dozen or so years um, that you're the creator thereof. Are you not uh, Aaron? Well, geez. Yeah. I'm the creator of your soul's architecture. Everybody out there. (laughs) That felt felt a little too lofty, Uh, but but yeah, I mean, it's old. It draws a lot on the insights of the Enneagram. Well, yeah, actually first it really, uh, when I was maybe in my early 20s, I read Watchman Nee's The, oh my gosh, The Normal Christian Life. 
No, was that Ray yeah. Stedman? No, Sid Walkstan. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, normal Christian normal life. Christian life was me. And uh, the first hundred pages of that just struck me as as far as wow, I have missed out on what the gospel means to me as a Christian because the gospel always in my past was what you give non-Christians so they get saved. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. after you get saved, it's all based on discipleship, i.e., sin management, discipline. Uh, showing up at church, doing daily Bible studies, uh, tithing. Here's the list. That's what it. Yeah. That's what you do. And I had I had missed out on the profound joy of truly having an identity in Christ. My identity was still wrapped up in what I did, which is the entire yeah. book of Galatians. Right. You start off with the gospel, and then mm-hmm. the rest you do by your flesh. Yeah. Uh. So that became such an important thing to me. But then I I taught on that, did small group series. We call it the Foundations of Faith at the church I was at at that time. And people would get excited uh, for this six-week series. And then within a year, the, it kind of disappeared in people's lives. Yeah. And so soul architecture was a way to go on a slower walk with people so that we could just work out what are the practical ramifications? How do we practically apply the gospel to our lives? And then about uh, probably 14 or 15 years ago, started using the Enneagram to just find out how my flesh specifically is going to undermine that how my flesh is going to give me tools and narratives that say, no, Aaron, uh, really, Jesus is not enough here, but you've got some tools. Here, let me teach you how to use your flesh tools. And so by addressing that, I can start to discover how I am undermining my experience of the gospel. Because the gospel is intact, no matter what kind of ass I'm being. The the gospel Mm -hmm. is not so weak as to be affected by my tomfoolery, as it were. Uh, but I don't get to experience it. I, I may continue to be a prince of heaven, but I'm not living in the palace. I'm eating out of dumpsters. Right. DNA intact, but uh, experience is crap. So yeah. that's really what uh, soul architecture is getting a cleaner idea and vocabulary of what an identity that's rooted in the personal work of Jesus is accepting how perfectly my heavenly father loves me, discovering how I personally in my flesh am going to try to undermine that, and then using a whole bunch of cognitive behavioral therapy tools and hijacking them to be gospel cognitive behavioral therapy tools. And that's what soul architecture is. And you've given you've given these tools away. You've trained a lot of people in how to use them. Uh, is that what the uh, intensive was about? So I've been wanting to do this for so long. I was supposed to do two of them this summer, and then with the whole virus, I didn't know if I was going to get to do any of them. And one of them was canceled. I won't say what city, uh, but man, around here we got enough. Rebels that, uh, yeah, there were <laughs> about 35 people that said, we don't care, we're showing up, <laughs> and they did. Right. So, yeah, it was really taking what is usually about four months of weekly work with people mm-hmm. and putting it into a Friday night and a 12-hour Saturday. Wow. And, 
you know, we don't we don't call these things retreats because nobody is being refreshed uh, in their body. We were all exhausted right. afterwards. Um, but it was it was so fun, and it was so fun to do it at at the church that was my home for so long, and to see people I knew, not just learning things, but then getting into groups and being honest about their experience with it. Yeah, yeah. So it is It is fun. If any of you want me to do it again, I'm ready. The notes are prepped. Well, I now know that I on the schedule I put 2 o'clock at least two or three times, which got real confusing for me as to how long I should keep going. <laughs> These things happen the first time through. Yeah, how realistic was your plan? I mean, did it work out pretty much the way you had it laid out, or did you run into some some bumps along the way? Well, I'll tell you, at 2 o'clock, it wasn't feeling like it was working out very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, was literally, I was literally teaching, and I had the schedule next to me, like, okay, when do I need to be done for the next group thing, and how long? And I don't know what it looked like to anybody else, but my brain wires were crossed big time. So I was like, yeah. when do I end? But it it all went really well. Uh, and the only thing we changed was at the end because people were having so fun with uh, one session. We just said, geez, let's skip dinner, keep doing this and call that the end. So it wow. it went it went smoothly. And I even today, I've just ma- been making calls to friends. I had a friend who brought his entire family and his two teenage daughters. And that was a great joy just watching them do it as a family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very cool. Well, uh, I'm sure that in uh, upcoming Samson retreats, bits and pieces, in much the same way that, you know, you did a very powerful thing with me at the last Samson retreat in the fall that was videoed and has been, it's yeah. gone up on the Patreon site. Well, it's, And it, guys it was, have been using... It was posted on a podcast, actually. Yeah, yeah. If, if listeners go back somewhere like February or December, something like that. <laughs> and guys have actually used that in subsequent retreats, watched it, and then followed the example that that uh, you set. So, uh, yeah, this is this this bodes well for the for future group experiences at the Samson Society. So so fun to have practical tools. To just yeah. experience, oh yeah, God's love is so intact. He delights in me so much. Sometimes we yeah. need to see that visually. We need to have somebody walk us through uh, just those kind of dark potholes that we fall into of yeah. shame yeah. and and condemnation, of which our heavenly Father said, "Hey, precious baby boy, there's no condemnation." You can't be separated from my love. Here, let me make a long list of everything and then end it with, and everything. Nothing yeah. can separate you from my love. You're okay. Jesus is enough. Boy, I can, I never tire of, I never stop actually thrilling. There's a part of me that just responds viscerally to the gospel whenever I hear it. And it's amazing to me how quickly it evaporates and I need to hear it again. Oh, I mean, that's, that's my huge confession. All the stuff that I talked about this last weekend on average over the last 12 years, I am talking about those exact, I'm I'm using those exact words 
like 15 hours a week. And during conversations, at least three times a week, I'm thinking, when did you even have time to forget this, dude? (laughs) (laughs) So I can't imagine if somebody's not talking about it constantly, how can anybody hold on to it? Yeah. But that's, that's part of the, that's not a, that's not a diss on God. This is, no, no, this no. Is, that, this is the working out of our salvation that's supposed to be, it's not supposed to be held on to so tightly that we don't have to renew it every day. And it just shows the gospel is so good. It's so counterintuitive that it doesn't make sense. It does not jive with the way we are conditioned to think. Mm. And so... And I've come to I've come to believe that the gospel is so big that I can't carry it myself. Um, I need other people to carry it with me, and uh, and I always need to be reminded, and to be reminding others of the vast riches of the gospel. And and we need to get competent at the simple gospel, which usually doesn't mean learn a bunch of new stuff. It means throw away a bunch of old shit. There you go. And get to the simple gospel so that we can preach it to one another and to ourselves without all the clutter of religion. There you go. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Well, hey, we have got a great couple of guests coming up. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. Hang on. We'll be back in a minute. On the pirate monk positive, uh, <laughs> pirate monk positive. What was that? It's well, this on is the pirate monk. What? It's not the negative pirate monk podcast that sometimes we do. It's the positive <laughs> pirate monk podcast. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, you know, Aaron, I have often said that what felt like the worst day of my life turned out to be quite possibly the best, certainly one of the very best. And the day I thought that any chance for ministry, for usefulness to the church, the kingdom, to the world at large had ended, uh, that's really when ministry began. And it's a story that I've heard over and over again, how... Uh, you know, the crisis that comes when addiction is discovered or confessed and confronted and recovery begins, suddenly chapters open that we had never anticipated and life begins in unusual ways. we got guests with us today who have a story that kind of follows that theme. Uh, Tom and Michelle Weaver are joining us. Hi, guys. 
Hi, how Hi. you guys doing? Hello. We're we're doing great. I I can we just start with the confession, Nate? Can we? Because I feel like uh, they deserve the confession. Okay. This is uh, not the first time we've had this conversation. <laughs> oh, you're going to confess to the to to our listeners that yeah, this they this now is the product of a bungled first attempt. You guys actually sat and had a conversation with us. We did. Uh, we we recorded an episode of the podcast now, low many months ago. And what happened to that, Aaron? Well, I I don't know. That's why it's bungled. Completely disappeared. <laughs> Completely disappeared. So so we get to start off with the apology and gratitude that the Weavers are back for this conversation a second time. Yeah. So listeners, you've got some persistent guests this week. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us back a second time. Or, yeah. or is it a first time? Uh, you know, we can we can play it however we want at this point. So uh so anyways, all right, where do we start the story? Uh, I'd love to get a little backstory. Tell us how you guys met. Give us a little bit of family background for both of you, and then how you met, how this life together began, uh, and then how it kind of unraveled and how it came together. We'd love to hear it. Go ahead. All right, so how we met... Um... We both grew up in neighboring towns back in southeastern Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, Amish country, very conservative mm-hmm. area. Um, we ended up by chance going to the same church. Um, we both previously married, um, like I said, ended up at the same church after we were divorced, uh, started having an interest in Michelle and, and she was very resistant because honestly, you know, it's small town. She knew my past. She knew my first divorce. Um, didn't really want to go there, but uh, I was very persistent, and uh, we did decide to. She did decide to finally accept my offer to go out on a date. We did start dating. A couple, about a year or so later, we did end up getting married. Um, and and uh, yeah, so that's where we met in church. Where it's uh, you know untypical for a static to meet somebody in church, but uh, that's where, (laughs) that's where we met and, and our life started there. And that was 20, almost 21 years ago. Uh, It'll be 21 years on September 11th, 2020. Wow. September 11th is your wedding anniversary. It is. It is. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, it it was a, yeah, very, uh, Different time to get married. I mean, it was we, we got married prior to 9-11, obviously, in 1997. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, yeah. It, it turned, it out, turned out to be a very explosive day for us, too. Um, yeah. We, you, know, we did, you know, back to how we met, um, Michelle and I, like I said, met in church. Michelle knew my story um, or what she thought was my story from my previous marriage because I went to that church with my first wife and my two daughters. She thought she asked all the right questions, um, knowing yeah. some of the past and my past behaviors. But uh, little did she know, and she can speak to that, that uh, she did not know a minute fraction of my story and my addiction. And neither did I and how deep it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were both op- you were operating in some denial 
as well as a little bit of kind of deception. You were hiding the truth from yourself and from her. Yeah. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, yeah, it was, it was very much denial. I don't think I knew the extent of my own addictive behavior at that point. You know, yeah. it, 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 I was kind of justifying my previous actions in my first marriage uh, on other issues um, that right. I thought were, were rationale for acting the way I did, not really looking back at my behavior before I was married the first time. And then mm-hmm. and it all coming full circle once once our D-Day came in our marriage 16 years later. So before wow. we get to Michelle's version of that, or at least from her perspective, give us a little bit more about, because uh, I think it's really important talking about, I was in this marriage, certain things were hard and they became the easy excuse for me not to see what my real issues were. Can you talk us through that just a little bit? Well, I, I think we had a lot of the same struggles that every young marriage has. And then, um, but, but I, uh, as things progressed and we had kids, um, I thought I was that self-righteous guy that needed to, uh, be appreciated, be respected and have all the things Mm -hmm. that a guy should have. And, and, uh, when I didn't get that, I sought other means to find that validation somewhere else. And, but I didn't realize that, you know, I thought, in, the, in the, the circle that I ran with of friends, a lot of the people uh, that I knew and were closely related to felt the same way. They, did, they acted the same way. They were doing the same things. Maybe not, we weren't as vocal about it then, but you know, all, the, all the guys in my clique, so to speak, were acting the same similar way. And so it was normal behavior and it was, it was, it was accepted. And you know, I deserved better. At, from what I thought, just like they did. And, you know, and that's what made me go and seek out different methods of getting my um, needs met. Mm-hmm. All right. So Michelle, catch us up on the other side. Mm-hmm. There's so much on that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, right there. What he said, I don't, the, his friends actually would, and, and business associates, he would make me look out like I was the bad guy and, oh, poor him, poor him. And, you know, he's got this horrible monster wife at home. So they would actually try to set him up. These are, these are people that we would call friends, go on family vacations, would be behind my back trying to set him up with other women, or he would be trying to help them find other women. So, you know, even though they didn't know the depth of each other's stories, exactly what was going on, they literally helped each other and kind of held him up to a a high standard because of where he was with his job and everything like that. And it's like, I mean, it was to the point where I found emails, people were calling him, men and women calling him a king because of what he was doing. And yet Mm. I had no idea. And yet these people would be my friends to my face and be with my children too. Wow. Wow. How did you process that betrayal? That was that, you know, I only found that out after I found out about him because I had no idea. I had, you know, I didn't know this was going on. I knew our marriage didn't kind of make sense, but I didn't know why. You know, I remember just, you know, crying to my my friends and I was like, well, I don't know why he's so mean. I don't get why one minute everything's okay and it's the best vacation him and I ever had. And and yet you come home and it's the worst thing ever. It was this constant roller coaster or yo-yo where we jerked around, you know, up and down where it's everything's great. And then everything's horrible and nothing made sense, but you wonder, okay, you know, nothing's perfect. You know, is this normal? Because 
you don't, you know, you can talk about those things, but when your friends really haven't gone through it or um, they don't know, or they're, you know, I notice now in recovery, you know, they say the joke is women talk, but they don't really talk deep. When you're, when you're betrayed and going through this, yeah. that's where you go deep with some of your, you I mean, you make really, really close relationships because you're going to talk about conversations that I think personally, in my own experience, I can't say for everybody, that you've never talked with some of your deepest friends, your longtime friends, they don't go there. Because even then, if they've gone through this, they, you know, they're in denial, some of them. So they don't even want to go through the recovery because their husband's not going through recovery. So you still don't have that, um, that bond with a woman that has actually wants to heal the marriage and not run, or just you know, she, there is no choice for her, but to stay sometimes. And it's a horrible situation. But when you, when you're betrayed, you have a bond like no other, because you have to walk this journey to understand it and understand the depths of the pain, just right to the core, right. runs through your blood. Mm -hmm. So Tom, how did you come to that place where you said, okay, I've got a lot of people helping me justify this, but then what, what made it click for you and turn the corner? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, like I said, early on in my life, we were, the behavior is pretty much, we grew up in a, in, like I said, rural, rural, conservative, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We, we grew up in Christian homes, but yet our behavior or my behavior was, was the norm for our group of friends. So I didn't really think about it too much. We all did what we did. We all went out carousing and having good times. And so I didn't think I had a problem at first. I didn't think I had a problem after I betrayed my first wife. Um, I always had the excuses and the rationale that it wasn't my fault. I was always pointing the finger at somebody else. You said denial. Yeah, I was in denial because I didn't, I didn't know what denial, denial was because I didn't have a problem. So I wasn't denying anything. But, <laughs> right, you know? So that, then I got, uh, after Michelle and I got married, and the behavior started almost immediately again. And again, kind of the same thing, you know, in that mode where it's, you know, I deserve better. Like she said, I'm the king, you know, I can, I work hard, I play hard, I, I get what I deserve and this and that. And, and just that, that same mindset of acceptable behavior, thinking it's okay to do what I was doing for 16 years. And on, it'll be what, two weeks from Saturday, August 16th, August 16th, 2015. Mm -hmm. it, it was 16 years of betrayal mm -hmm. that came out in Michelle's lap on a phone that unraveled everything that I had done in my past. Um, well, it started we, out not everything because a few weeks well, yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it started the process of un yeah. unraveling everything in my past. Um, but we had just moved to Southern Maryland at that point from Pennsylvania, um, kind of located down here, rural, rural area again down here, out on our own, no family around, just started going to a church the second Sunday. We've been down here for a year and a half. The second Sunday uh, of going to this local church is when all of this blew up. And Michelle found my phone and, and found some stuff on my phone that uh, obviously wasn't supposed to be there and obviously wasn't supposed to be stuff I was doing. But that started the process for me of uh, unraveling everything and 
as I said, we moved down here and I had a, we had a previous company up in, up in Maryland, up in Pennsylvania. Um, and as I brought everything down here, we were, we were closing that business up and we still had the records. We still had the computers from that business as we were winding things down. And as Michelle started unraveling everything, uh, she wanted to see everything that could possibly be related to this type of sexual addiction. We didn't know what sexual addiction was at that point, but she wanted to know everything. And as most women do, they want to know it right away. And I was in, you know, damage control. I was in self-preservation. <laughs> I was trying to, now I was trying to deny. I don't know anything, you know, but yeah. she continued to find things. She continued to find things in my phone. And the more she looked, she like, I, I tell guys she should have been, what do you call a, a, a forensic IT person? Because she found so much stuff on my old computer that we had brought down here. Um, mm -hmm. you know, she just started going through my phone, going through all my records, going through emails, going through my old computer, finding stuff that I never, uh, thought was still there because I thought I either deleted stuff or had it hidden well enough. And, and you asked what brought me to the point when, when I, 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 I call it as a, you know, I would go through 12 steps or something like that and do an inventory or do a, do a disclosure going through this journey. You know, I feel like God gave her my inventory on a hard drive on my computer. It was there in black and white. She could see everything, everything and a lot of things that I really wouldn't have recognized as being there or thinking that I was that bad. But when she was able to dig up all this information, find all these things that were so undeniable, they were in black and white that she could see and I could see how truly bad that I was and how deep I was in this and how hard I was denying everything that it was me and that I had a problem you know until I saw that and realized wow it's time to start taking a look at me it's not always somebody else's fault well I mean I'm just thinking of the person that doesn't know if they really struggle with alcohol but they're getting rid of the bottles as they go along mm -hmm. you basically had all the empty bottles yeah. drug out on the floor and man that's a different emotional impact Michelle, we, we've had a lot of conversations on the podcast about the importance of doing disclosure carefully. This sounds like an avalanche disclosure method. What, I mean, what was happening in your head and your heart? I, I can't even imagine. It was just like a bomb went off because I, when I started, you know, the first time, the first D-Day on his phone, he had promised I, I knew everything. A couple of days went by. I don't know if it was yeah, a week or something like yeah. that. And we, oh, we, I know everything. And we went and got new wedding bands. And then it was that the pastor said, why aren't you bringing the computer home, Tom? Is there anything you want to tell Michelle on there that might be there? No, no. So when I got it home, that's when it was like, okay, I got a sheet of paper out. And I started with writing down because I thought, okay, I'm going to write down everything I find. Well, it came to the point where my hand was tired, paper after page after page. And then it became, I was blowing up the phone and sending them to him and all the pictures and the emails and everything I was finding. And it just didn't stop. I don't know. It was, as far as I remember, it was like 30 days, almost nonstop. I was finding stuff. And he used to say, oh, it's just bad choices. It's bad choices. Oh my word. He had okay. such a problem, such a problem. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. 
all they did was scream and cry and couldn't eat, couldn't sleep and started running just because you just want to run away from the pain. You just want to get out of it. It's like you can, the faster you run, you'll get out of it eventually. And you don't, you don't. So every woman listening to this and most guys want to know, when did you make the decision and how and why to fight for your marriage? For me, I didn't understand it because all those times you sit there and cry and just pray and pray and pray. You just want to, you just want to disappear. You don't want to be here anymore. At least that was my thing. But, um, God did not tell me to leave and I wanted to hear it, but I didn't understand why I wasn't, but what he did keep doing. And it wasn't like a voice. It was just, okay. You know, when I started running, the fair hours after the first, after I saw it on his phone, um, I kept, I heard three times when I was running on different days, go back to the computer, go back to the computer. Mm-hmm. And that happened. And, you know, after that, it was just kind of like, Oh my word, enough is enough. And now it's time to process. And I still did not, I even went to a Christian counselor. That was a nightmare because within the first few minutes I told her, what happened? And she goes, well, you know, um, 93, it was, I think it was 93% of the marriages like yours is not going to make it. And I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I have yeah. hope and I don't know why. So she let me talk and I went back the next time she did it again. And I said, I told you, I don't want to hear that. And I never went back. And then luckily, um, our church, uh, pastor told us about celebrate recovery. And that was the only thing we had. But they didn't, you know, they were so fabulous and tried to help in every way, but they didn't have somebody like Tom or me before. So, but that was our lifeline. Absolutely. I don't know where we'd be without that. You know, there's so many pieces of this puzzle to get us where we are actually today, but that was one of them. So um, after, after a year, she gave me, uh, the, my CR leader gave me an information to a conference, uh, Women in the Battle. It's now called Restored Through New Life. And I went and that was the first realization. It's like, oh my gosh, here are all these women of all ages, just like me. Mm -hmm. And wow, that was just unbelievable. But that whole time to answer your question, I never felt I was to go. And um, I think that's where people, we, you know, women struggle. They just want those answers. And when they don't, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, things, you know, not all men want recovery. So they're just like, it's, you know, thankfully Tom chose recovery. But when you're in this for years and years and years and years after, you know, and you still don't get those answers from God and you feel, okay, uh, you know, he's going to turn, he's going to turn I keep praying. You know, I don't know. That's not, you know, luckily he did for me or did for himself at this time. Um, but yeah, my heart just breaks for the women that, you know, I can only pray. Tom doesn't relapse. I can only, and I have to give it to God and, you know, this, and know that I am completely powerless and that to resolve to that and just uh, do my recovery is what continues to help me want to stay and just make this work. And it, you know, and I'm so glad I did, but it is a, it's, um, that's why I didn't leave because I didn't feel I was supposed to. So I don't want to make it too gender specific uh, because I'm sure you guys have encountered uh, men who have had betrayal as well. But having Mm -hmm. gone through this whole 
especially going to a counselor that's asking you questions that are kind of pushing you in a direction you don't feel like you should go. When you encounter couples now who have gone through this, Michelle, what is your first first thing that you just want them to hear that you know you needed to hear back then? You're not crazy and you're not alone. Mm. And you will make it through this. And I'm here for you just to listen and to cry with you. What do you like to always say too? It's okay to hate them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you know, we think you there, you think you're literally crazy, like losing it because you want him to hold you and yet he disgusts you. Mm -hmm. And you think that, yeah, it is okay to love him and hate him at the exact same time and to feel that. And Tom, what's the first thing you want to tell to the person who's maybe been in such deep denial that they don't even have to deny it because it's not there. And now they're struck with the reality. This, this iceberg goes a hell of a lot deeper than you thought. Absolutely. And, and to realize that there is hope, you know, this is not something you can push off and, and blame somebody else. This is something, this is our behavior that we're responsible for. And there's something else that's driving this behavior. It's not just about sex. It's not just about a bad relationship. It's about a relationship that was potentially destroyed by something that's happened so long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be something that happened to us traumatically at, at a young age. It could be little things that happened here and there over the course of our childhood. It could be something that happened, you know, 10 years ago. But there's, we're medicating something when we're, when we're acting out in this way. We're, we're getting, uh, we're medicating some pain somewhere, somehow, and it's going to take work, but it's worth it because there is hope. And I tell people, you know, Michelle explained why she, or what made, what, what it felt like. Um, and I tell guys too, you know, if she is such a blessing to me because had she turned and walked away on August 16th, 2015 and never looked back, I don't know if I ever would have changed, but the fact mm-hmm. that she walked with me on this journey and has, has helped me and been such a support to me, you know, that's what's so powerful to me. And maybe, maybe a wife won't do that, but no matter what we as men have to understand what is driving our behavior, because if, if we don't heal ourselves and become whole and free and pure again, we're going to continue the same behavior in our next relationship. And I think another thing, if I could add that she needs to know there is absolutely, it's not about her at all. There's nothing she could have done or did to cause this. It's completely him, whatever he's medicating, whatever he's going through, but there's nothing, no matter what she looks like, her weight, her looks, the color of her eyes, anything. If she cleans the house enough, it was just nothing she could have done to stop this. Yeah. Wow. So, um, Tom, I'm, uh, I'm guessing that you found some competent therapeutic help at some point along the way. Well, I think that the biggest therapeutic help I got was, uh, was getting in the community with other guys. There you go. (laughs) 
real guys, yeah. Yeah. guys that share yeah. the same problem, the same concerns, the same issues. Not N not guys setting you up with other women. Yeah. yeah, or going out to the bar and and drinking all night long. You know, is it's it's being with other guys. You know, and I've I've been through different things early on. Like like Michelle said, we went to celebrate recovery, and that was our lifeline in the beginning. I went to a, a similar conference, three day conference, and it was great for those three days. But after those three days, I was a lost puppy again. You know, I was hung out there to drive for, for what I thought was, you know, I'm on an island again by myself. You know, all those guys are gone. I tried to keep in touch with, with a couple of them. Then, you know, it didn't, it just didn't work. And then we finally started getting into other groups and starting our own groups and just building our own support network and finding that, wow, there is healing through community. And uh, when, we're, when we find a bunch of guys, a bunch of brothers that are, struggling with the same thing that have been through the same thing or similar, you know, every, every situation is obviously different, but similar situations and just the healing process that goes through uh, working together in, in a, in a group. Boy, can we, can we make a recommendation here? Cause I'm, I'm just feeling what you're saying. I'm feeling a little angry, uh -oh. especially realizing that this can happen. You know, hearing about your friends that were helping to hide and bury uh, behavior that was killing your soul and mm -hmm. crushing your wife. Uh, obviously, we want to get out of those relationships. But then I also think of people who are struggling with being betrayed. And I know there are groups of wives who have been betrayed or husbands who have been betrayed where they kind of become toxic even in their, quote, healing. Like it's a lot of just angry talk that doesn't move towards healing how how can people navigate hey these relationships whichever side of the coin you're on are actually leading me towards leading me away from healing how do they know and then get the courage to walk away and know that there are people that can help move towards healing well i think well i think to answer your question um there again with the the groups you start to you start to learn um, how to take care of yourself. It's a lot of self care, and then you have support groups and working groups. You know, so we didn't even get into the part where we found um, the Conquer series and Dr. Wise and Pure Desires and all those tools that we actually ended up using as part of our recovery. Um, and you do you have to be very careful because um, people that don't want recovery can be toxic even in the group. Yeah. I think it's, so, it, you know, you have to, you have to be in a vulnerable, a vulnerable group. Open, if, yeah. if they're not open and honest and really being out there sharing their crap yeah, and, and not ashamed, you know, mm -hmm. breaking that shame cycle. And it's not just a, you know, I don't know what word politically correct to use here, but you know, it's not just a bitch session. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's a session that we're not in there just to bash our wives and say how she did this, this, and this. We're in there to share about ourselves and how my behavior affected, you know, my relationship, you know, and, and I'm responsible for that behavior. And, and everybody takes ownership in their own behaviors. We don't come in there and, and the wives the same way. Mm -hmm. It's not in there to just bash their husbands. They're in there to support yeah. each other. They're in there for true recovery, not just, to vent their frustrations. No, it's, yeah. Well, oh, go ahead. It's about digging yeah. into your past and finding out what what really is is the, the focus of our medication. And for the 
for the betrayed is kind of even when we get together and share your story, you learn from each other's because mm-hmm. you learn that what you, you know, what you really think that your husband should be doing because he's, you know, not being so defensive or, or showing empathy, you know, it's not being that mean woman, you know, the mean wife that is controlling or demanding. It's okay, but you know, to expect these and, and to, 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 yeah, just to expect him that, that, you know, you're not this horrible person, even though you've been, you know, because so often that happens when the guy is really fighting it. So in these groups, you know, we have to be vulnerable too and share our story. And then we each learn from that. Um, Yeah. And then the couples end up, you know, it's really neat to see friends of ours that are going through this now that we, they came friends because of this. Um, We learn from all them too. And their story. I love, I love that you had the courage, though, even with that counselor that you were recognizing, this is not moving me towards healing. Mm-hmm. I think, man, when somebody is vulnerable enough to say, I'm going to join a group, okay, big step, and then it ends up not being the right counselor, the right group, mm-hmm. that that takes courage not to give up, but also to walk away and say, I'm not going to stay in a place that's keeping me in bitterness. Uh like that's a that's a such a brave moment in your life, and I think other people probably face it more often than we talk about. Uh, there's there's so many stories that we've heard of people going to leadership in their church, counselors in their church, just regular counselors, Christian counselors, all kinds of counselors, and just have so many horror stories about you know great stories too. But there's you know, there's a lot of horror right. stories out there that that just you know they. they there's so much that they want to, um, put, I don't know, I don't want to say sweep it under the rug and move on, but there is that mentality of, you know, we have to forgive and move on. Right. Let's, let's, sh- let's shortcut the process. Yeah. 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 But we, ha- we have to investigate the process. We have to, you know, figure out what that process is and not just mm-hmm. forgive and move on. So encouragement, listeners, if you're in that spot, keep going. Keep Absolutely. trying. Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys are living your life out loud. You're an open book. You, uh, you're not hiding your story. And you found that your story, while it is uh, unique, uh, is, you know, it is different. Nobody's story is exactly the same in the details. But you're finding that there are uh, lots of other people who are attracted by your vulnerability, who hear about your story and to come into your orbit. And now you find that you've got something to share, to, to talk about kind of how your group experiences have evolved over time. Yeah. Um, it's funny to just to circle back and figure out how we got here. I said we moved down here from Pennsylvania. We were kind of isolated by ourselves. This whole thing came out. We started going to church. Um, you know, the second Sunday, Michelle's calling the pastor all in tears because of what happened. And, and we came to that church in this crisis mode. Of wow. betrayed spouse, you know, the addicted husband who didn't, who was denying he had any kind of issue. I, for the longest time going through celebrate recovery, I refused to say I was a sex addict. I just struggled mm-hmm. with sexual immorality. I wasn't an addict, you know, but, but going to that church and, and they welcomed us with open arms, despite the horrible brokenness that we had in our marriage and the devastation that I caused Michelle, they still accepted us into that church. And then a, a year into our recovery there at the church, uh, kind of splitting off from Celebrate Recovery, we started another group. We started the Conquer Series. And they allowed us to, to present that to the church up front. 
you know, talking in front of the church about pornography, about sex and about mm-hmm. masturbation. You know, how many times you, you get to talk about that in front of the church? So that was I think that was a defining moment. You know, we mm-hmm. became known in our church. It's a small church. It's not a huge church. We, we became known as the couple. That's that sex couple, you know, that they they talk about. Sex. <laughs> and, you know, it, it stinks. You know, it's kind of you got that stigma of, OK, that's all they talk about or that's that's their story. But you know what? It makes our story so much easier to discuss because people know it, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're open to it. And it's funny. Some people were kind of against it in the beginning. And it's somehow interesting the way some of this stuff comes full circle, you know, and then they, they've opposed it and being so vocal about it in the beginning. But after a year, two, three years, something happens in their life where they come to us and they talk to us about it. But yeah. as we progress through groups, you know, we start the one group, you know, we went through that and we, we progressed down our line of progression of groups. And, and Michelle took about a year before she wanted to actually start a group and get into a group on her own because she was just feeling like it was me, it was me, it was me. And I needed to get fixed, fixed, fixed. So I was doing everything I could. But as we started and then she followed a year behind, you know, it just started progressing. And, and we had one group each for a year. Also, we got two groups. Now we got three groups. And now we probably each have five groups. And we have other people leading groups in our church, too. And it, it's just progressing to the point and, and the words getting out here in this area where, you know, we're not far from D.C. We're not far from Baltimore. And, and before there was no groups in the area. And now the word's getting out and people are just flo- not flocking. But a good majority of the people that come into our groups are not even from our church. You know, yeah. they're coming in from different areas. They're coming in on Zoom. You know, they're coming from all over the East Coast. And it's, and it's West Co- I mean, they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're everywhere. And it's, we just want to provide the opportunity with these groups to give somebody something that we didn't have when we first became uh, devastated by my past behavior and my life of addiction. And we didn't have that in the beginning. That sounds like such a healing statement. How does that feel every time you give someone what you guys didn't have at the beginning of this journey? Uh, and maybe you want to answer. Yeah. It's just a, a sense of relief. You know, yeah. we had nowhere to go. Michelle had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go. Um, celebrate recovery. You know, with the kind of that, that kind of has a stigma too about alcohol and drugs. And, you know, I didn't think I belonged there, but it, like I said, it was my lifeline, but you know, it's just, it's so healing to be able to hear other people's stories and that they can come in and share their stories. And the wives have somewhere to go because they don't, they don't feel they're alone anymore. And they never, I don't know how many times you have heard, Michelle, that ladies were never, ever able to share their story before. They never thought anybody was as bad as their story was. And, you know, it's, it's just, it feels so good to be able to provide something that was not there for us in the early stages of recovery. So how do people get this benefit? How do they come to this table? <laughs> nice tie-in. I like yeah. that. Well, yeah, we, we're at Faith Bible Church in Mechanicsville, Maryland. You can, you can always reach us there. Uh, our groups are listed on our website. You know, we just started a YouTube channel at Come to the Table Ministry. Um, we just had a Facebook page. We just started a Facebook page. Um, all our groups are, we do a newsletter um, twice a month that we send out that has our groups listed on it. And it has all the uh, different curriculums that we uh, use in our recovery um, circle. It also has different events throughout uh, you know, the country, locally, nationally. We put on a men's retreat every year uh, up near Annapolis, Maryland. We got one coming up in the fall. 
in October of this year. You know, we, we're just putting resources out there. So either get us on the website of the church. I can give you our email. You can uh, check out the Facebook page. You can get our newsletter if you shoot us your, uh, your email information. Okay, so what is the email that, that uh, folks can use to reach you at Come to the Table? Uh, you can either use, personal. what's that? The personal ones. Yeah, use thomasweaver65 at gmail.com. Wow. Okay, the personal email address. There it yeah. is. We have one. It's come sure. to, we have come to the table ministry at gmail.com too. Okay. But the personal one is for pirate monk podcast listeners only. That's no right. one else in the country gets they, that one. They get the direct pipeline. <laughs> for a limited time only. That's Tom's right. changing his email next month. 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> But wait, there's more. No. Uh, oh, it's uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, it's been wonderful to read. And thank you for being gracious and forgiving uh, and, and sitting down to have a, a, a second interview. Mm-hmm. Nate, All if, right. I could, if I could share one more thing, Nate. Yeah, please do. This is very big in, in our journey. Um, I forgot to mention earlier and, uh, like I said, August 16th, 2015 was our D-Day, first part of it. Um, August 15th, 2020, Michelle and I are going to be having a, we, we're calling it a providential ceremony where we mm-hmm. are reuniting, not reuniting, but we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're starting our married life new again. Uh, wow. We're not... It's not, not renewal. It's not a renewal. You know, I know we have to renew our mind and we have to, you know, there's a renewal process, but this is a new yeah. life for us. This is new in, in God's eyes, uh, uh, the recovery that we've been through, the journey that we've been on. You know, we just felt that after five years, you know, it, it's time to make a, make a, a line in the sand that this is our life now. And yeah. we want to celebrate that day and, and take that, oath again that covenant of marriage again yeah as as, as a new couple in christ well when i when i think of the first time you guys stood at the altar and made vows uh what you knew about yourselves and each other and how much you loved each other so paled in comparison to what that moment will mean you're not kidding you're not kidding that's why we're excited to share it so good. You know Michelle, do you remember anything from the first interview we need to bring up bef- before we transition <laughs> out? No, I'm good. No, I don't know. I know that's going to be a special time for you guys. I just want to say this. Allie and I did the same thing five years into recovery. Did you? Oh, wow. And we wow. did it in front of a church full of friends. Yeah. It was... Yeah, it was. We were putting a line in the sand and we had our adult kids there and they participated. And it was so good to be able to say those vows and know what I was saying. Yeah. And who I was saying it to. Amen. And she knew, you know, you know, and, and, and yeah, (laughs) to do it in the light of day. Yeah. With all the facts on the table. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different deal. Fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in a minute on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
Mickey Mouse voice. What is that? Oh, is that? Uh, <laughs> gosh, uh, <laughs> that wasn't what I was intending. I just wanted a soothing, feminine voice, but evidently I can only do rodents. Yeah, yeah, no, that was not a soothing, feminine voice, my friend. Well, I'm out. <laughs> okay, that was great. That was, uh, you know, I, I feel like we hit on some different conversations uh, that was just nice to hear the story again. What a what a great couple. So glad that yeah. we got this this done again. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, and I am certain that there were any number of our listeners who heard pieces of their own story in Tom and Michelle's. And uh, my hope is that there was also some encouragement and some inspiration there in that story. Now, especially to see how powerfully those two are being used and how they gaining, they're gaining strength in their relationship as they offer their weakness to others. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful and thing to watch. What a reminder of how important friends are. I got to walk this morning, took a four mile hike through the woods to the ocean with an old pastor friend of mine and just drove back home thinking, man, it is it is so good to have friends that just encourage life, real life. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, uh, speaking of friends, we would love to hear from our friends. You can reach us at uh, via email at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please do send us any suggestions, uh, any feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We like to hear from enemies as well. So if you hate us, send us an email. We'll make sure to read it and rip it apart. Uh, I don't know. We've, we've never made that offer before. Maybe, maybe people who don't like us don't feel welcome. Okay. All right. Uh, there are we have I can't unveil them yet, but we got some we've got some pretty big announcements in the offing from Samson House uh, coming up in future episodes. Uh, but I think that's about a wrap for now. This is it for this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Erk. Farewell and adieu to you Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders but to sail for old England. But be hoping a short time to see you again. We'll rant and we'll roar like true British sailors. We'll rant and we'll roar all on the salt seas. Until we strike soundings in the channel of old England. All you shan't as silly as 35